I didn't really join the dots myself and I blame myself a bit for that. But I also blame the fact that I was living in France, the States, in the Netherlands for four years. Actually, the Netherlands was an interesting one because people say that when you're over there, everybody speaks perfect English. But I found when it came to medical things, healthcare professionals speak to each other in Dutch. Why wouldn't they? Why, you know, why would they speak in English because of me? You are expected to speak Dutch to explain your medical symptoms, which was a bit hard because I had the dictionary out looking up Dutch words. Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings and welcome to the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. I'm your host, Laura Kulaskowski, and today I have a special guest coming to us from Ireland. This is Miss Joan Jordan. Hi, Joan. Welcome. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be able to talk to you because I believe there's a lot to learn from what you've experienced with trying to get a diagnosis of MS. So can you begin by maybe telling me a little bit about what kind of symptoms you might have experienced that got you thinking something was wrong? Yes, Laura. My MS diagnosis was a real slow burner. I got my first symptom actually when I was 22. I had a problem with my eye. Um, Now, this was back in the 90s when MRI technology wasn't so prevalent. So I was sent to the Eye and Ear Hospital in Dublin, in Ireland, and basically was sent home with with not very clear uh, prognosis. And as happens with relapsing remitting MS, my eye issue cleared up by itself. So I just parked that and... um, then over the next 14 years, I experienced issues, which I just didn't really, I didn't really join the dots myself. And I, I, I blame myself a bit for that. But I also blame the fact that I was living in so many different countries. I'm a software engineer and I lived in France, the States, in the Netherlands for four years. Actually, the Netherlands was an interesting one because People say that when you're over there, everybody speaks perfect English. But I found when it came to medical things, it kind of shut down a bit in that you are expected to speak Dutch at a level to explain your medical symptoms, which was a bit hard because I had the dictionary out looking up. Dutch words. That's really interesting because I have heard that you don't need to speak Dutch. And in fact, you're discouraged from trying to learn Dutch because it's so complicated, the language. Yeah, except when you need something done to your house. Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) Or something done to your body. (laughs) It kind of uh, closes down a bit then. And um, yeah, I suppose the healthcare system is more based around people who do speak Dutch. That would make sense. So I, I just did find a lot of barriers. I had my first baby in the Netherlands and while everything was absolutely perfect, I can't, I've no complaints from a medical side. I just was a bit in the dark in that I, I 
didn't really understand what was happening, but that was because my Dutch is not great. So your Dutch wasn't great. You were using the language dictionary to interpret what you were trying to explain to the medical experts. That's quite a barrier to getting health care and getting a diagnosis. It actually was because the healthcare professionals speak to each other in Dutch. Why wouldn't they? Why, why would they right. speak in English because of me? So it was a barrier. And I think it made me feel quite passive. And I also think that because I'm female and I was having children, I just felt like I just wasn't listened to basically in any of the countries that I lived in. And then when I moved back to Ireland, I, I, I found the same thing. I would say it was a bit like a really, really, really slow volcanic eruption that I was having tremors, tremors, tremors over the years. But then when I turned 36, which was 14 years later, so it was a, it was a long time to not know what's wrong with you. Um, I got a ginormous relapse. And that was when I lost power down one side of my body and got diagnosed extremely quickly then. And did that happen then in Ireland, in the Irish medical system? It did. It happened through the emergency room. So I went to casualty, got admitted, got a bed, got a lumbar puncture, got an MRI, got a diagnosis all within a week in my local regional hospital and then was sent home with the referral for a neurologist. So it sounds to me, Joan, like perhaps if you had experienced some of these other symptoms in a country that was adapt to the, the language that you were using to speak about symptoms, you may or may not have been diagnosed earlier but you really took a downfall when you had this eruption that you that you call it of these symptoms that took out your left side. Yes, and I have, I believe, quite a few lesions. I have 35 lesions. And um, my neurologist did say at one point, now hindsight, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but she did say to me that I should have been diagnosed age 22 when I had my eye issue, that I should, should have been given an MRI then but it just didn't happen Laura and we can't we can't change the past so that that's it it was a very snap diagnosis but leading up to the diagnosis it, it, it took a very long time yeah and it's an interesting because we're I'm finding as I talk to people often it is that same scenario of the symptoms were there, but it takes connecting with the right person in the right setting that actually is going to stop and listen to everything and put together the entire piece of what what your history looks like, not just not just symptoms, not just the MRI, but the entire picture. So I think in my case it was getting in touch with the right technology because the lumbar puncture and the MRI were able to show definitively that that I had MS and I didn't have access to those tools before. I did stop working as a software engineer, but now 
have done Upashi training, European Patients Academy, and um, I'm finding I'm getting a bit of work kind of with the crossover because it's not that many software engineers who have MS. So, you know, blending technology with my illness. And then I have started doing art. I did my first exhibition in May and it was basically I it pimped up some of my MRIs and I tried to show other people what it's like to live with MS symptoms like optic neuritis or various different MS symptoms, what it what, what it's actually like. So that's that's kind of keeping me busy these days. So well now that you've got this diagnosis of MS and you know what you're looking for, do you have suggestions or ideas for people who may be listening to this podcast who think something's wrong with them but do not have a diagnosis what what should they be saying to their to their care providers well i think at the end of the day it's your health and you should be making an effort to manage your own health so i think with these digital apps that are out nowadays, um, you can keep track of things. You can try and find some logic to what's happening to you to see if there's any connections or anything like that, any clues that you can give. I think that when you do actually get FaceTime with a healthcare professional, they're busy, especially during COVID. They're, they were super busy. And um we as patients can try and organize our information, try try and give as much as we can to enable that diagnosis to happen. And I think you've hit on a really key point here, Joan, that some of my other guests have not said yet was that using technology, um, which is natural because that's your wheelhouse because your background is in technology, but using technology to help track symptoms and what's going on with you could help to ease this transition into a diagnosis. Absolutely. I also have teenagers, Laura. So um, there's an app for everything these days, I think. And um, yeah, it, it it is absolutely amazing what can be recorded and if you extrapolate the right data out of out of the the information you gather rather than having an EDSS score or asking people to fill out PROs you can get quality data over time over and that's so many times I've fallen once and I broke my wrist but so many times I nearly fall but nobody ever knows about that because like I catch myself or I, I don't, somebody else catches me or it, it's not, it's not, you know, it's just a bruise. It clears up, but that isn't, that information isn't stored anywhere. So I've had one major fall, but probably a hundred minor falls that never get recorded. That's a really fascinating point to make and, and really speaks volumes to the use of using these apps to track those little incidents that may not be captured in other ways in our medical records. So do you have any final words of advice for anyone on their own journey here for an MS diagnosis? 
Well, I actually had my checkup yesterday, my MRI reading yesterday, and um, I've been waiting to see a, a urologist for um, nearly three years now, and my appointment is coming up in a few weeks' time. So in the meantime, I've been having incontinence issues and I have found the MS community really, really good with tips and, you know, ways to work around it and what to expect. You know, I've done research online about it. So the appointment has finally come around. But I would say to somebody, just don't don't sit at home and wait for the appointment, because in the meantime, your life is your quality of life is being affected by this symptom. So talk to other people, go online to trusted sources. If you're not happy about something, because I think that different things are important to different people. And whatever makes you happy, I think that that is what you need to focus in on and try and make the changes necessary even if the system isn't working in your favor. <laughs> so there you have it, folks who are listening to this episode of MS Diagnosis Journey. The advice from Joan is be sure to join the dots, find a way to keep track of your symptoms and just find your own happiness out there, even while you're pursuing a diagnosis. And Joan, I would really like to thank you. I think our listeners will find your story interesting and learn a lot from it. And I hope um, those of you who are listening, you'll be sure to subscribe to this podcast and join us for future episodes. Thank you, Laura. I love your podcast. Big fan. 